Welcome to another episode of the Liberators Network podcast. My name is Christian Verwijs, I'm one of the Liberators, and in this episode we're going to talk about why you should stop measuring the pizzas and the cooks. But before diving into the meat of the episode, I want to celebrate a milestone, and that is that we have over 500 listeners to every episode of this podcast. And that's pretty amazing, um, because it means that 500 people on average are listening to what we're making. And for us, that's the big joy of the work that we're doing. We write blog posts, we record podcasts, create videos, but we never know how many people it's reaching. And with the podcast, we do. So thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us. And we hope you can recommend this podcast to others that are also trying to learn new things. Now, if you want to support us, you can always go to patreon.com. I'll put the link in the comments. It's a great way to support our work in a small way. You decide how much. Um, and it's a great way for Barry and me to find even more time to record podcasts, to create more content that is valuable to our community at large. Enjoy the episode. Good news. You've become the owner of a pizzeria. Gone are the days of writing code, being a scrum master, or deciding over the product backlog. Instead, you are now responsible for a small Italian-themed restaurant. From now on, your world revolves around anchovies, mozzarella, tomatoes, and basil. But there's one thing you took with you from your job as a scrum master. Use empiricism to drive decisions. So instead of relying on assumptions, intuitions, and expectations, rely on data to improve how you do your work. So what are metrics you should track for your little shop? Now on face value, a couple of metrics might suggest themselves. For example, you could measure the number of pizzas that are produced on a night. More is better, right? Another option is to measure how many people are in your kitchen and how much time they spend working there. Again, more would seem better, right? And how about the number of people walking into your shop? The more you have, the better you must be doing. Except, none of these metrics are helpful as they're only concerned with output. They measure only how much work is done, but they don't tell you anything about how valuable that work was, or the outcome. You could do really well on all of these metrics and still run your shop into the ground in a week. You can create hundreds of pizzas every night, but if you don't have customers to buy them, you only have created a heap of waste and lost money producing it. And the same happens when you have dozens of people working in the kitchen, putting in many hours of overtime. But without actual customers, you're losing a lot of money and generating waste. And even when your shop is succeeding in attracting hundreds of visitors, your shop will still go belly up if they don't buy anything. So, no entrepreneur in their right mind would measure these kinds of metrics for a pizzeria. When you focus on output-oriented metrics alone, you are likely to optimize only for how much work is done. How can you optimize the process to bake more pizzas? Let's buy faster ovens. Let's send our cooks to expensive training. Let's hire more people. Let's advertise more so we can draw in larger crowds. But instead of optimizing the process, output-oriented metrics tend to encourage the accumulation of invisible waste in your process. If you really want to reduce waste, a much better approach is to measure the outcomes of the work that you're doing. For the example of our pizza shop, things like how many pizzas are you actually selling? 
What is the margin of profit for each pizza? How happy are your customers with their pizzas? And how many people return for more? What percentage of the people walking in actually sits down to order? And how rapidly are they being served? And what is the ratio between how much you spend and how much you make for each week, month, quarter or year? And finally, how many pizzas and ingredients do you throw away at the end of the night? What these metrics share is that they don't measure the work itself. They measure the results of the work. And measuring them allows you to pinpoint where waste is happening. And they give you more meaningful information about where improvements are actually necessary and actually helpful. If customers are generally unhappy with their pizzas, you need to improve the quality or diversify your menu. If the margin of profit for a pizza is too low, you need to either increase the price or find ways to lower the price of producing them. And if you're not selling enough pizzas to cover the costs, you may have to rethink your entire model. Perhaps there already are a lot of pizzerias nearby and you are better off selling other kinds of foods or something else altogether. And if the number of visitors that convert into buying customers is too low, you may have to rethink your menu or the pricing. As you can see, these kinds of metrics help you make meaningful decisions about what makes sense. But measuring outcomes is often harder than it is to measure output. Measuring outcomes requires that you have a good understanding of what your value is and to what degree that value is actually reaching your customers. Which in itself is a good sign that these are actually the metrics that matter. But given their difficulty, a concession might be that you'll just have to do with output-oriented metrics because that's the only thing you've got. But an underlying assumption there is that output and outcome are somehow related, meaning that if you can at least measure output, you'll have a good sense of what your outcomes are even when you don't measure them directly. But it's really important to realize that output and outcome are mostly orthogonal. They don't cause or result in the other. And it's easy to understand why. You can do really well in your output, for example, by, selling many, for, by producing many pizzas or having many cooks in the kitchen and still go bankrupt because you have low sales and unhappy customers. You can run a profitable business with high margin of profit and many returning customers, even when your output is low in terms of a low number of pizzas produced or a small staff. That makes sense, right? So in this case, we're showing that output-oriented metrics don't predict or correlate that clearly with outcome-related metrics. They may not even be related at all. And that makes sense, right? So let's move back to the world of software and product development that most of the listeners are probably from and not from pizzerias. So if it makes so much sense to measure outcome-based metrics in a pizza shop, why is it that we're so obsessed with output-oriented metrics when it comes to software development? There are so many teams and organizations that measure how many items or story points are completed per sprint. That's the same thing as measuring the number of pizzas produced. It just doesn't help. And the same goes for tracking how many people or teams are working on a product and how many hours they're pouring in. That's really just as effective as deciding how successful your pizzeria is by counting the number of cooks in your kitchen. Now coincidentally, it seems to me that the strong focus on output-oriented metrics is actually a huge driver of scaling efforts in many organizations. Without considering how much value is actually being generated, 
The idea is often that adding more people and teams is the way to generate more value. So if not output, what are useful outcomes to measure in our context of software development? When you work with the Scrum framework or any other agile approach, the focus shifts from working as hard as you can to delivering small and valuable increments. Each increment of your product is a way to go to stakeholders and learn about what else is useful. So we would expect outcomes in four general areas. We would expect increased responsiveness to changing needs. We would expect more valuable outcomes. We would also expect improved quality as the focus is less on working as fast as you can and shifts more to doing the best you can. And finally, we would expect to, to see general improvements taking place over time as teams and people learn how to deal with the way they're doing their work and collaborating more effectively. Now, what are some metrics that capture aspects of these outcomes? And just as a word of warning before I start listing some examples, none of them are perfect and none of them should be measured in isolation and all of them should be inspected by everyone involved in order to make sense of what they mean. Metrics in themselves don't have any value, don't have any meaning. You have to do that together. But if there's something you want to measure in your process, these are generally a good start. So what are possible metrics for responsiveness? The first two are lead time and cycle time. And lead time is the amount of time that transpires between the conception of an idea by a stakeholder or by the Scrum team and its implementation and delivery to stakeholders. Cycle time is the amount of time that transpires between when a Scrum team starts work on it or when work starts on an item and when it's actually delivered to stakeholders. So cycle time is always a part of lead time. Lead time is longer, cycle time is generally shorter. But if responsiveness increases, you would expect both lead time and cycle time to decrease as well. A second metric is work in progress or how much work is in progress at a given amount on different levels of the system. So you could look at individual items of work within a scrum team. How much are they doing at the same time? But you can also look at the organization as a whole. How many projects, how many products are in development at the same time? And if we become, want to become more responsive, a general rule, and Kanban tells you a lot more about this, is to limit your work in progress. So in general, you would expect to see work in progress decrease and responsiveness increase. A third metric is the number of interruptions. So how many times are scrum teams interrupted from their focus during a sprint? And that can be as simple as just counting how often that happens. Um, so how often does someone from outside the scrum team walk in and asks that the, the scrum team spends their time on something else than what the sprint goal says they should be working on. So tracking these interruptions is a good way to measure responsiveness because if teams have more focus, they can get more work done, they can properly decrease work in progress, they can properly decrease cycle time, but interruptions are usually a big impediment there. But what are some helpful metrics for quality? The first one that comes to mind is code quality, and that's the quality of the code base. And you could do that with static code analysis. There are many tools available for that, but you could also look at something like test coverage or whatever makes the most sense in your environment. It's very hard to give you general um, guidelines that apply to every kind of context. So you have to work with developers, with stakeholders, with product owners to determine what is high 
quality code for you and measure that. Another metric is the number of total defects that are known. So how many bugs exist in your product and in your software? And if you're doing a good job, that number should be stable or, or, or even decrease over time. That's obviously the best thing. It's also important as a third metric to track stakeholder happiness. So how happy are stakeholders with the quality of what is being delivered to them? Let's move to some metrics to track improvement over time. The first one that comes to mind is team morale. So how willing are people in your team and their stakeholders to collaborate together, even when the going gets tough? And I wouldn't necessarily expect to see that rise over time. I would at least expect to see it stable over time. That's the most important thing. Another metric you can track is the innovation rate. So what percentage of time can teams spend on new technologies, skills, and approaches? Innovation is important. You need to renew what you're doing, how you're doing things. So you have to spend time on that. And also number of dependencies is a metric that comes to mind. So how many external dependencies do scrum teams have to deal with in order to get their work done every sprint? And if work improves and if scrum teams are increasingly more capable of self-organizing in such a way they can achieve the sprint goal, you would expect the number of external dependencies to decrease over time. So that's also a good indicator. So how about metrics to track value? The first one that comes to mind is a really obvious one, and that's the return on investment or ROI. And this is simply the financial value of the work that is done by the team versus the cost of creating that value. Um, it may not be possible to calculate this for every kind of product, but I think it's possible to do it for far more products than we usually do. You can also track conversion rate if it applies to your product. So that's the number of visitors and people that are using your software or your product and that turn into paying customers. That's something you can track over time. You, sh you would hope to see it increase or stay the same, but at least not decrease. And finally, also a really important one is to track the profit margin or the revenue generated. And it kind of depends on the product that you have, but the profit margin on work done or the revenue generated by it should hopefully increase over time um, so that you can make money with what you're doing, which is also a way to get return on investment. Now, if you want to know more about metrics, this is just a, this was just a very rough overview of some things to measure, but you can find more about it in Scrum.org's evidence-based management framework. They have a lot of out, outcome-oriented metrics that you can use, and as said, it's much better than tracking output-oriented metrics. So the core message of this episode is to stop measuring the proverbial pizzas and cooks in your work. Tracking metrics like that only tells you something about how much work you're doing, but it doesn't tell you anything about how valuable that work is. They, those two are probably not even related. For all you know, you're creating hundreds of pizzas with dozens of cooks that nobody wants. So you're generating waste, even though it seems from the output-oriented metrics that you're doing a good job. And that is the underlying problem of output-oriented metrics. They encourage the creation of waste in your product process if you don't consider the bigger picture. What is the value that we're actually delivering? And that, that is why it makes much more sense to measure the outcomes of your work. Are customers happy? Do they pay for what you create? Do they return? In this post, we shared some examples, not just for pizzerias, in case you want to start one of those, but primarily some for software development. Give them a try and see what happens as you create transparency around the value of the work that you're doing, 
rather than how much work you're doing. Good luck. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening and spending some time to learn something new. It's really important and it's good that you're doing that. Um, If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up or a star or whatever makes sense on the platform that you're listening on. And we really hope to see you again next time for our next episode. If you have any comments or ideas or experiences with what we wrote, what we talked about in this episode, please let us know in the comments. We're always looking forward to your feedback. Having said all that, thank you very much for listening and see you again next time. Have a great day.